Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. We hope the Ringer can provide you entertainment and companionship during this time. So as always, feel free to check out theringer.com, where we're still covering the latest in sports, pop culture, tech, and media. And the Ringer's YouTube channel can provide endless amounts of entertainment. You can find that at youtube.com slash theringer. episode of the JJ Reddick podcast with Tommy Alter. Uh, this week we are joined by our good friend, former hedge fund guy, current restaurateur, Sean Feeney. Sean, thanks for coming on the podcast. Boys, we did it. We finally did it. After months of planning, we did it. We were actually supposed to record this podcast two Thursdays ago in Utah. You guys preemptively bailed on the trip, which in hindsight was a great choice. Uh, and my team, of course, never never made it to Utah. It was not the right week to fly. Let's just put it that way. Before we did the podcast, I was going to go to the jazz practice. Uh, I talked to Quinn Snyder and I was going. And the night before was when it all went down with, with Gobert. Yeah. If you're watching, you can obviously see. If you're listening, Sean's wearing a white kit hoodie. And I've seen you now a couple times on social media also wearing that hoodie. And this is a question for both of you, because I feel guilty of this as well. But over the past like nine or 10 days, how many times have you actually changed clothes? Oh, boy. Um, like yourself, I have an arsenal of the same T-shirt. I, I change the T-shirt every day, which is the same T-shirt. I wear two pairs of pants. I basically rotate them. And then the sweatshirt and the Brooklyn Dodger hat. That's all I got. I have not worn real pants. I have two pairs of sweatpants that I wash. Okay, okay, all right. Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. No, because I've gone outside. What are you wearing right now, guy? I have two (laughs) pairs. I have two pairs of sweatpants that I wash, and I just cycle in and out of them. And I probably have worn four or five. JJ was Sean. JJ was making fun of me yesterday because I was wearing a vest T-shirt. But like, I've tried to like, I've tried to switch up my tops a little bit, but it's been it's been grim. It's been grim. We recorded this podcast with Sue and Megan yesterday. I was also wearing this gray shirt. Like Sean, I have a stable of the same shirt. So this is a different shirt. It's the same shirt, but it is a different shirt. What make of t-shirt do you preference? Raining champ, white, black, and gray. And just fucking rotate them through. How do you say that LA company? uh, Is it Pierce? Percy? James Purse? James Purse, yeah. Yeah. That's all I got. That's that's my go-to. Sean, so you're in Williamsburg right now. Yes. How, uh, how many times have you left the house in the last week? Not much. I would say since last Friday, I've tried really hard to just stay home um, and, and maybe go out once, once a day to go get a coffee or just to walk around the block with the kids. But for the most part, Marie and I have really tried hard to stay, stay locked in as, as hard as it's been. Want to provide the listeners with a little background on Sean. Sean is the co-owner of two restaurants in Williamsburg in, in Brooklyn, New York, Lilia 
which opened first. And Missy, his partner, business partner is uh, Chef Missy Robbins. Both of these restaurants, Tommy, you would agree with me here, are two of the best, definitely in New York City, but in, in the country as well. Yes. Just outstanding places. And I know you're also involved uh, in a few other restaurants. Just as a way of background, I, I think it would be helpful to provide the listener with uh, your sort of condensed story of how you got to know Missy Robbins and how you guys started Lilia together. Sure. So in 2008, my wife and I, Maria, got married and we moved into an apartment building in the West Village. And um, a couple months before we moved into this new apartment on Grove and Bleecker, Missy had moved from Chicago, where she was the executive chef at Avoce. And um, she just got a new job in Manhattan as the executive chef at a restaurant called Avoce, uh, I'm sorry, Spiaggia in Chicago and then Avoce in New York. And when we moved into the apartment, uh, there was only three apartments in this building and I was a massive foodie. And when I found out that she actually was my neighbor, I just kind of circled her apartment until I get to meet her. And over the course of the next five years, it really became a, a, a natural progression of a really awesome relationship where in the beginning, I was just a fanboy. I would go to the restaurant a lot um, with, with business people, my family and friends and kind of feel pretty cool that my, my neighbor was this awesome big time chef. And um, then Hurricane Sandy in 2012 hit New York City and she shut her restaurants down and I had just come home from work. And I invited her up to our apartment one night that night to have dinner. And I cooked dinner and we kind of stayed up all night while the while Hurricane Sandy was just crushing the city. And we just told each other our life stories the entire night. And um, that was the night where we became friends, like legitimate friends. And she told us that she was going to be leaving the restaurant industry in the following year. Um, she was 42 years old at the time. She had been in the restaurant industry as a cook and chef for about 20 years before that. And, and she was just really broken, um, physically, mentally, just, just needed a reset. And in 2013, she, she did it. She did what she said she was going to do. And I would get to come home every single night. And most of the night she was in my apartment cooking on Weight Watchers and my wife to support her joined her. And I also obviously was excited to taste this, this new type of food she was cooking. And yeah, so we 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 I invested heavily into this relationship and friendship that essentially became like a a family in this apartment building. And in that year, we got to talk about kind of a future, uh, what it looked like for her. And eventually, it led to a conversation early in 2014 of I, I thought the best idea for her in opening up her own restaurant was to do it with myself. And um, it took about four months to kind of just continuously make her say yes to me, but she kept on saying no. Finally, in the spring of 2014, she did say yes. And, and from that moment on, we just, we went on this journey together to open up Lilia and Missy in 2018. And then, and then a pasta company a couple months, um, a couple months ago. Um, and, and it changed our lives for, for, for the better. Talk a little bit about this this pasta company that you guys recently released. So there's basically pasta, well, prior to COVID-19, but there was yeah. basically weekly pasta drops yeah. at Missy where you can take Missy pasta and basically take it home and, and cook for your family. Yes. Yeah, so, so essentially, when we were having all these conversations back in 2014, 
to be partners, she told me a lot of what she had hoped to do uh, going forward in, in her career. And one of those things was to hopefully one day have her own pasta company. So I never forgot that. And I said, you know, obviously, we're not going to do that in the beginning, which she agreed to, but there will be a time where we could start attacking it. And in the fall of 2018, we had opened up Missy, our second restaurant in, in Williamsburg, and fully focused on pasta and vegetables. And towards the end of the year, we have a recap every year of how it went and what we're going to look forward to in the new year. And I kind of brought it up of just, you know, what do you think about potentially this pasta company and and going after it a little bit? And I was also at a point too in my life where I was going to leave my job of, of finance. So I, I wanted a new challenge too. And this was going to be a new type of business for us. So we looked at ways to do it. And um, there was a couple ways. You could essentially license your name out and they put your face and name on box of pasta and sauce and and you get a yearly fee or you could do it an old school way and own it 100%. Obviously for us, we were more excited to own it 100%. Um, and, and we were trying to educate ourselves on how to do that. Towards the beginning of the, the summer in 2019, we really started coming up with our plan. And Missy was really excited about branding and designing and what it was going to look like. And she was all on that. And, and then I was trying to think of ways to do it a little differently. And, and um, like this, this sweatshirt that I have on from Kith, I thought we had the ability to create um, a demand and a little bit of a, a hype around the, the pasta. So the thought was, when we were going to release these, these, uh, the, the brand, we would do it in drops at the restaurant. And so in February 1st, 2020, we started doing these weekly drops where it was in, in a kit, in a, in a bag. You would get a, a pasta and a sauce and then an instruction card on how to do it in your home. And essentially, the mission was the same as our restaurants. It was to create inspiring dining experiences to help make your day better. And this kit did it. Uh, even though it was different than a restaurant, we wanted you to create these experiences that you had at Lily and Missy because the same sauces that you were having at Lily or Missy and the same pasta shapes you were having, you could now have in your home and cook it with yourself and the people that you loved. And we were excited by it. So I really had to, Missy's 10 years older than me and, and as cool as she is, it was really a, a hard task to get um, this idea approved by her, um, such as the use of the word drop. Uh, she still refuses to yell, use it, which um, at times is a little frustrating, but I'll never forget on February 1st, we did the first drop and we did this all on Instagram. We did that. We still have yet to talk to any of the press and we won't. We're just building this company through Instagram. And on February 1st, we announced the night before on Instagram that we were going to do the pasta drop outside of our restaurant, Missy. And at two o'clock, uh, there was a line that started forming. And I'll never forget Missy coming up to me like a little kid, like, Oh my God, do you see what's happening outside? There was a, a line forming. And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course I do. This is what was supposed to happen. And she ran outside, started taking picture and video of it all. And I just started bawling because for 12 months I was trying to be so confident that this is going to work because I did. And then we had a drop every week. And sometimes we had two and we've had nine so far until this virus has hit and we've essentially shut it down until it's safe again. Sean, to that point, you mentioned how you guys sort of resisted the urge to 
just do this sort of easier thing, which would be to license out the name and put it on boxes. We've talked about this a bunch, but you've also resisted that urge with the restaurant itself. A lot of restaurants will do things like they'll just try to spread the name around as much as possible. You know, you guys are such a sort of iconic brand name in New York at this point. How did you make that decision in terms of like the restaurants itself, in terms of sort of going small rather than just going big? I think it was, it, again, it started with those conversations we had in 2014 when she kept on saying no to me for four months. We really, we really talked through everything as partners, the good stuff and the bad stuff. And a lot of these conversations had to do with, um, what if we fail? What does that look like? Or also, what if, it, what if we kill it? What if we kill it in a way that our expectations are high? But what if we match them or beat those expectations? What does it look like our company? And we were dead set on taking it slow. And we believed that we were building extremely profitable businesses, which is normally not the case in, in hospitality. We also believed that we were going to create these, these really special experiences. And if we could do maybe six of those, maybe once every other year, we would start planning our next one. So every two years, we would open a restaurant. That doesn't look like an empire. And um, it looks a lot different than an, a, a lot of these other groups that do it, that have had success early on. But for us, it worked. It was what we both agreed to. And we thought that if we could do it the way we wanted to do it, and, and everybody's definition of scale is different, but if we scaled the way we wanted to, these restaurants would always be special. You'd always know that our fingerprints were all over them. And um, they would also be really you know, profitable, healthy businesses. And that was kind of our way of, of growing. And we also thought it, was, it didn't just have to be about those physical four-wall locations as a co our company was defined by. We could essentially take advantage of, a, of that brand that we were creating inside the four walls in, in other ways through this pasta company, um, through the ability to potentially do other things if it was investments or some sorts of media. But for us, it was about building a company, not just restaurants. Do you feel like you were sort of made to be in hospitality? Oh yeah, for sure. Like it was your death. It was your destiny. Yeah. But I never, I never planned on it. I didn't even, when yeah. I said to, when I said to Missy that I wanted to be her partner, I didn't even believe I was going to leave my finance job until probably after the first month Lilia was opened. I always thought that I would just stay in finance and have this thing on the side to help Missy. And, but now you look back on it, it was, you know, basically a month after we opened Lilia and, and because of Missy and my wife, Maria, they, they both kind of made me look myself in the mirror for the first time of like something really good happening professionally and reflecting on it and realizing that I was doing the best job for me. And it was, it was utilizing my ability to connect with people in a real genuine way to build trust, not just with guests, but people that worked with us. And I loved it and it changed my life. And but I think looking back on how I've always tried to put myself in a position to succeed, whether it was in sports or school or finance, I was always using that ability to build relationships and a network and seeing how I could help push things along. And hospitality, I just fell into it. I always loved food. I loved the theater of dining out. It fed everything in terms of my excitement for life. But I never thought it was going to be my profession, but luckily it is. You brought up the word networking. And, and I would say 
the two of you are the best networkers I've ever met in my life. And you both do it in such an authentic way. I mean, it's really, it's, it's, I mean this sincerely, like it is a special talent. Perhaps no better sort of expression of this networking has been these dinners that we've been doing uh, at Missy. We obviously in the off season, when I'm, when I'm in Brooklyn, Tommy is in New York all the time for work. Uh, we try to have a, a monthly dinner at Missy. I'm not even sure how this sort of came about or whose idea this was. Sean, are you going to take credit? <laughs> no, no, no. I, ne- I never take credit. It's, this is a, th- I think it's a we collective thing where every time Tommy is in town, we try and meet up at Luger's for a burger. And obviously, um, you know, I think when we started getting really close, we were all sending each other emails all the time with like, hey, I want you to meet so-and-so. You guys do your thing. And Tommy at one of these lunches at Luger's was like, you know what, man, we just got to, we got to, once JJ's done with the season, we just got to get everybody in a room. Like I'll invite people, you invite people, JJ invites people. We'll just, we'll just have a dinner. And I was like, oh yeah, that's like a networking connectors wet dream to do. (laughs) And And one, and one thing you have to acknowledge, if anyone listening to this has been to Missy, they know this, there is a, a room at Missy. A lot of restaurants have private rooms. But this is, it's a little bit unique. And Sean, you, you can explain it better than I can. Yeah. So this room is the pasta room. We make our pasta every single day, starting at 6 a.m. until probably 3 p.m. And it's the coolest room. It's, it's temperature controlled. It's humidity controlled. And at nighttime, it can turn into this unbelievable private dining room where you get it for the entire night. You get to listen to your own music. There are shades. We're going to be putting in these um, fake glass that smokes up because... That's good. There's been a few celebrities that have asked that last for it. summer. <laughs> yes. Um, last summer. Yeah. So we've been through a couple of situations where we finally need to break out the smoke glass, but it's an amazing room and we could fit as many as 24 people in there. And it was just a great environment to have this type of uh, dinner. So I think we had about three of them starting in the summertime in 2019. And it was, you know, sometimes it was 10 people, sometimes it was 14. And then finally in July, we had, um, we had the big one and, um, it was one of the coolest collections and oddest collections of people in our lives, um, with no agenda, no name tags. Uh, it was just awesome to see people who have absolutely killed it in so many different professions and industries come together, not knowing each other. And um, of all types of backgrounds and colors, and I mean, just a, a rainbow of people and, and just put them in a, a fishbowl, basically, for the night. And uh, it was just, it was really cool. Yeah. One, yeah. Of, the, one of the things that I like about it, and, and the, the one we did in September, the, the French dinner, the infamous French dinner, was another example of this. French, French Montana, we can say his name. <laughs> It's French Montana. Yeah, not, not, not the cuisine, the, the actual yeah. rapper. French, French Montana showed up to the dinner a little, a little late, a little showed late. Showed up ha- halfway through and, and asked Missy, asked the chef, uh, what did he ask her? Something about like, we had all the food out there. We had this amazing cuisine out there. It was all in front of him. And he's like, did you guys serve food here or something like that? French was, French was halfway actually there that night yes like he, was, he, he was he was happy yeah. but I, but i think he but th- what that is sort of synonymous for is you sort of never know who's going to show up but also it doesn't really matter you know the point of the thing is not to be like oh hey come to this 
dinner because so-and-so is coming or, Hey, come because of this or that or anything like that. Like to your point about there being no agenda, just like you just show up, you know, and, and you have a good time. And honestly, like if you don't have a good time, great, then don't come again or, or you might not get invited again. I would love to find one person that has not had a good time at that dinner, except for French Montana. Um, I believe everybody had a great time. He had a great time. I mean, French, he, yes, he did. French Montana's bodyguards who were sitting uh, on the floor outside did not have a good time. The like you're right there, Tommy. There really is no agenda. So I had one of my former teammates who who now plays in New York. Like he came to dinner one night, and I was trying to explain to him like what it was, and I was like, "No, nah, you just you just come and hang. Like I can't tell you who's going to be there, who's not going to be there. Just a random group of people or whatever." And he had an unbelievable time. I know you guys both uh, love him now. He's Dude. like, oh, he, he, he is, he's the man. And, and, yeah. um, we're talking about, uh, Deandre, uh, Jordan, but he's, he's, he's the greatest. So I do, we do have to say one thing about this. So the, the one we had in July, which we basically had every seat filled in that it was the most eclectic mix of people ever. Uh, you know, people from real estate, people from finance, uh, people from the food world, athletes, media, and this is pre-smoked glass. I guess Jimmy Fallon was just dining in the restaurant that night. Yes, yes. So, so um, whenever I'm, I don't like to eat at the restaurant because I'm. It's really hard to do. It's like the biggest curse of owning a, a restaurant, especially when you're a huge foodie like myself. You rarely get to enjoy it because you're always just making sure everything's okay. And about eight fifteen that night. I realized that um, earlier in the day, I got this email from somebody at NBC saying that Jimmy was going to come to Lilia. And I was like, oh, no, don't come to Lilia. Come to Missy tonight. I'm not going to be at Lilia. I'm going to be at Missy. So um, he came to Missy instead of Lilia. And at 8.15, I was like, I was having such a great time talking with everybody. I was like, oh, man, I got to make sure I see him before he leaves. So I went outside to introduce myself to him because I had never met Jimmy before. And I, I went and he was full on like doing a comedy skit in the middle of the restaurant. Everybody was laughing. He was having a great time. And I introduced myself to him. And Misty always makes fun of me for doing this because I'm just like, I'm no, I'm a nobody. And when I go up to people and introduce myself to them, they look at me, they're like, who is this guy? So I just introduced myself to Jimmy and I'm like, Hey man, I'm Sean. And he looked at me, he's like, okay, who, like, who are you? And I was like, thanks for being here. It's, it's our restaurant. And I pointed to Missy who was at the pass and, um, I hope everything's going well. And he's like, Oh, this is, I love this place. This is great. And I was like, well, listen, I'm actually dining here myself tonight. And, um, although you don't know me, you probably know a lot of the guys that I'm dining with. I'd love for you to join at some point. Um, and he's like, okay, yeah, sure. And I left and I didn't think he was going to come in. And about 20 minutes later, we're all sitting there and sure enough, Jimmy Fallon comes in with a, um, with the carafe of, of wine, the decanter and our decanters at Missy look like bongs. And he essentially made a joke upon entering. He asked for a light. He said, does anybody have a light? And everybody kind of like turned towards him and just it was, belly laughed. And then he went on a, a rant for about 12 minutes of just roasting me who he is. And I don't know him. He doesn't know me, but he was <laughs> roasting me. And then he just left, like he just, he left and everybody looked at me and they were like, 
how much did you pay for that to happen? And I was like, <laughs> it was free. It was free. It was amazing. It's also, it's, that is, that story is very New York because oh, yeah. that is a thing. That is the kind of thing that happens yeah. in New York. It's a, it's a, it's a, because people are on top of each other. There's a level of randomness that happens that doesn't happen. I don't even think it happens in a, in a city like LA, which has all kinds of crazy things in the industry and everything like that, because people are just segmented. You know, it's like yeah. every, every, everyone's in a private room in LA and you're never going to run into people. I think in New York, it's a, it's a, and I think, I think you guys have done a really good job with the restaurants being where they are in Williamsburg of cultivating that in the community overall, you know, yeah, where it's, that's it's been, it's been great. I mean, Missy, Missy and I, we, we don't, we didn't open restaurants for, you know, people like that to come. And, um, we, we just wanted places that people felt comfortable and safe and protected. And, um, for people like that to feel normal and for normal people, you know, the average me, um, to feel like they were special. And, um, it really is the case. It's happened. It's been nice. And very rarely has there been an event where I've had to kind of step in and take care of like a situation of, all right, let's, let's let them dine. But most of the time when these guys are eating, nobody bothers them. Nobody on our staff bothers them ever. And it's just a friendly atmosphere where people, we want you to feel safe the moment you walk into our doors. And when you're in our presence to feel extremely comfortable and just not worry about anything other than the reason why you're there. So that well, by the time you leave, you feel fulfilled and happier. I'm going to swing to Tommy, but like Tommy, I don't want to call it a talent in the sense that something like you're like pursuing necessarily, but it seems like it's just a very natural thing for you to do to just reach out to people, network, connect people. It just seems like it's a, just a byproduct of your life. It's an interesting question. I think that, so I met Sean through you originally. I, I, just, I actually forgot that. <laughs> I met Sean through you originally. And yeah. it was funny because I think we both knew within, I don't know, 10 minutes or something like that. We were like at a coffee shop. And so I think we both knew within 10 minutes or, or so of sitting down that we were going to be friends. It's because we had a lot of similar personality traits and just sort of traits in general even though we did totally different things. Like I know nothing about food. I like food, obviously based off the show, but I know nothing about the industry whatsoever, but we just were very similar in a lot of ways. And I think that what, what Sean and I both sort of enjoy doing and other people, a lot of people listen to the show are like this too, is figuring out the, uh, the sort of crossovers in different industries, you know, rather than just, being like, okay, I, you know, I work in media and I just want to have friends that are in media, you know, or Sean's like, I work in hospitality or specifically in the restaurant industry. And I just want to, you know, dominate that industry and be kind of a player there, which you could do easily. And you'd sort of be well within your rights of doing, I think to us, it's more interesting to find the similarities in different worlds because you start to realize that like everybody is sort of similar in their own unique way. And it's, it's, it's seeking those things, being active about seeking those things out. What do you think, Sean? I would say so. I think, look, I, I think we all have something very unique and special about us. Every single person does. And I think, you know, for me, you know, I, I get out of bed and I know every day that I'm going to, I'm just going to try to connect with people. And, and I know that I'm good at it and I'm going to try and lean on that ability um, because it's natural for me. And I'm, 
I, I spent probably 13 years of my life in finance, um, leaning on it in the, in the wrong job. And it, at times I was successful and at times it wasn't. But I think, you know, you look at JJ, whether, whether it's your compulsiveness or your, your curiosity, like things that you do when you wake up in the morning that are just really, it's just, it puts you in a better position to be fulfilled. And, and that, I think all three of us have that. I know when JJ and I first met, we started introducing each other to friends of ours that we thought would get along. And that's how Tommy got introduced to me. Um, and then we all started doing it, the three of us. And I think it, it's, it's just that thing that, that is, it comes very easy to you and you should, everybody has that and you should, you should embrace it. You should try and find it. It's not easy to find, but once you find it, you should just lean on it so much. Sean, I have a uh, question for you about business, about you building your business. Because one of the things that I've noticed, and I think that anybody who goes to any of your restaurants, and besides Missy and Lilia, um, Sean also is involved in Red Hook Tavern, which is a great new place in Red Hook in Brooklyn, and then Hometown Barbecue, which is in also in Red Hook. The people that work at the restaurant, you know, part of hospitality is the service, you know, it's not just the food itself, but it's you walk in from the second you walk in the second you leave and the service is sort of impeccable, but you also have a very close relationship with everybody that works there. And I know we're going to talk a little bit later about some of the stuff that's been going on over the last couple of weeks, but when you're looking to hire somebody, what are you looking for? It's a fit really. I mean, we, from again, like our conversations with Missy and I, in those four months, we really, talked about the type of family and team we were going to form. And for us, we set that mission statement in the very beginning. We also set our values on how we were going to, we were going to go about it. And I think, you know, that's important for us. And the, we weren't putting these words up on a, on a bulletin board in the kitchen or making people memorize them. Um, we were just going to walk the walk. We were going to, we were going to live them. And if anybody in our restaurants on our teams, we're going to, we're going to see these, whether it was the mission statement or the values, if they would see them, they'd be like, Oh yeah, of course, this is exactly who they are. This is what, this is what they're trying to accomplish. And I think that, you know, we've had success of finding people who, who have aligned with our values and in a, in a really nice, genuine way. And we don't have a hundred percent retention rate but I do think we have 80% retention rate. And we have a lot of people that worked with us since we've opened Lilia four years ago. And um, that was a challenge that Missy and I set for ourselves because in these conversations, she told me straight up, she's like, listen, I'm going to let you know that in restaurants, the, the, the people that work in restaurants, you know, they come and go, we're going to have to really work hard to change that. And we've, I think have found the most joy her and I working together on that where I do handle the business stuff. I handle the finances and she trusts me, never asks any questions about it. And she, she lets me go in my lane where I let her go in her lane. She has full creative control of everything that we do in our restaurants. And, and I respect her so much. And I think she's amazing and I let her do it. But where we come together is how we treat everybody. And I think that's, that's really been our secret sauce where I do believe people they buy why you do it. They don't buy what you're doing. And I think people, when they come in, they, they see that, they feel that the reason why we're doing it and the values. And we've been fortunate to have people that have been able to buy in even 
you know, especially now that that's, that's even more, um, that's even more amazing. I always wonder this, and I don't think I've ever asked you this. Do you have sort of like a underrated thing that diners at restaurants do that they don't even necessarily, they know is annoying, but is annoying to people at the restaurant? Oh, that's a good one. I mean, the first one, the easy one is Missy when she sees the, um, the Instagrammers, the influencers spending about five minutes before they actually eat the pasta, taking every single shot. I mean, she literally will come out of the pass and, you know, curse them up and down, essentially saying, you eat that effing pasta now or you leave. Um, so that's probably, that's the easy one. Well, if you wait five minutes, the pasta's not as good. I mean, that's just, that's just science. You can't argue with science. I want a video of Missy doing that. That's the thing. <laughs> that's the video we need. <laughs> she's made like she's made people cry basically because essentially she's standing there and and she is a celebrity. So like when people come in to eat and they see Missy Robbins, they freak out. And then you're taking Instagrams of the Malfadini and um, pink peppercorn with Parmigiano. And after 90 seconds, she literally will look at her watch and knows after 90 seconds, that pasta is going to die. And she runs at your table, like full, full sprint. And these millennials that are like, Oh my God, that's Missy Robbins. Oh, she's coming towards me. And then she starts yelling at you. They're like, they're lost. It's absolutely, they, she finishes <laughs> them. But yeah, I, w- I would say that that would probably be the number one thing of, of just the like, Oh God, just eat like, okay, we get it. Just eat your food. What makes, what makes a good diner? What is the checklist for a good diner? And do Tommy and I, do we exist on that list of good diners? Of, of course. I, I think it's like, I think about it all the time because I am that person. I'm the diner and I've always tried so hard to respect every single person. I think, I think a great diner is, is different. There's going to be a diner that's like so excited to be at a restaurant and wants to know absolutely everything that... Um, that you're presenting and you're offering and wants really all the information, the, the reasons behind each dish. But then there's just diners that come and, and they're there for a reason of, of um, business or friendship and they don't want to be bothered. They just want to be there to just catch up and, or to take care of something that they need to take care of. And you have to, you have to recognize these, you have to basically feel the table to sort of let people experience the way they want to experience these, these restaurants. And I think the great universal diner is one that comes in with a lot of respect, one that wants to be friendly to the people that are serving and, and just thankful for the experience that, that we're trying to put out there and and have them enjoy. Have you ever had to like after the fact or even mid meal, like tell a diner,